Al again, thank you very much for the uh, warm welcome and the opportunity of coming here to enjoy fellowship uh, in December. I guess when I come here, the turkeys are on their last legs. I, I seem to come just before Christmas every year, but it's always a joy uh, to be here with you. Uh, I want to read you a few verses from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Just a few weeks ago, we lost one of our great colleagues, Dr. Bill Woods. This afternoon, I'm taking part in a memorial service to Bill. He didn't want any funeral service. He wanted taken straight from the funeral home to the grave and as little as possible done. Uh, but he said, you can't have a Thanksgiving service, and so we're having that this afternoon. I'm just uh, going to read a few verses and want to share with you part of his testimony this, e this morning, uh, just to magnify the grace of God uh, in his life. Uh, and so we read here in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for, uh, to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his sacred word. To be quite truthful, I feel somewhat humbled uh, when I hear that in the context of this meeting, you're thinking of the suffering church. Reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we speak of being saved to serve. Of the Apostle Paul, the Lord said to Ananias to say unto him, he is a chosen vessel unto me, for he will suffer many things. Not just saved to serve, but saved to suffer. And therefore, as has been said this morning, in this, our part of the world, we suffer very little, and yet we remember those who are proving the grace of God, the grace that is sufficient. The Apostle Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives a list of the sufferings he came through, how he was left in the deep, how he hungered, he was left naked, he was beaten, he was left as dead, and then he said these words, and God is my witness that I lie not. Isn't that just amazing? God knew all about the sufferings. And in the providence of God, the word providence means to see beforehand. Reminds us of Psalm 37 and verse 8 that says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. My friend, God not only sees the future, He's in the future. He controls the future. And thank God in his providence why he goes before us. Uh, let me just uh, come to what I want to say of this morning. The Apostle Paul was possibly the greatest missionary that ever lived. All of his letters, 13 letters, were all written to missionary churches or to missionaries at that particular time. 
you will find that in the entrance of those letters, he holds up, as it were, four great pillars, columns, that every Christian should experience. He speaks of the word grace, as we find it here in Colossians. Speaking in Timothy, he calls it exceeding great grace, grace. He speaks of faith, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith that is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's like Moses of old, that he saw God, he seeing God. God is invisible, but in that spiritual sense, by faith, he was able to see him. Not only grace and faith, but love. He speaks here of the love for the brethren and the love for God and reminding us of the words of the Apostle Paul, the love of Christ constraineth us. We've been remembering it this morning at this table. Immeasurable love, unchangeable love, love that comes to us every morning as the day dawns. The Bible reminds us, so his loving kindnesses are many towards us. And then he uses the word hope. As I say, these four words should stand as pillars in our Christian lives. And I want to use Bill Wood's testimony as I look at those pillars. First of all, when we think of grace, we're saved by grace. It is by grace you're saved uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The Apostle Paul said uh, that I was, for me, who was a blasphemer and injurious, uh, I persecuted the church of Christ, but I did it in ignorance. But the love and grace of God was exceeding abundant through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bill Woods was raised Ranley Street just off uh, Ravenhill Avenue. However, that was 1937 and the war soon came and he remembers nothing of Ranley Street, but he was evacuated as many were in those days. He was evacuated nearby here to Ballygown to the big granite house, I think they called it the Owl Schoolhouse in its day, but it stands there, part of the Presbyterian Church, and you'll see above it, time is short. One half of the building was the school, the other half of the building was put into sort of apartments, and the Woods family were in those apartments. I say the Woods family because Mr. Woods had joined the Navy, and he was away for five years. As a matter of fact, he was decorated for his courage as a gunner and then remaining on a burning ship and uh, was awarded by King George for his bravery during the war. But Bill always maintained his mother should have got the medals because she had to look after the five children at home, Bill and his three brothers and his sister Nina. Uh, the schoolhouse was not only the residence, the other side was the school. And so... Uh, they got into a, the forecourt of the old house was uh, the, the sort of playground. And a lot of rascality of the children went on there. Uh, uh, his name, it's just gone from me. Harry Reid, the brethren missionary to Brazil, was also one of the children who played in the forecourt. I say a lot of rascality because one day one of Bill's brothers kicked the ball and mis the ball was misguided. Instead of going to the goal, it broke through the window of the schoolhouse. And of course, the boys wanted to find out what they'd broken. And, and so Bill's brother climbed up under the window and looked in. 
only to find a headmaster sitting in a bath. <laughs> I'm not sure which one was shocked the most. Uh, the, uh, he jumped from the, the ladder and uh, got away. And the, the headmaster was so shocked, he didn't know who it was that had seen him in the bath. So you can imagine that going on. However, alongside that, Bill was not raised in a Christian home, but he was sent to the Presbyterian Church up there in Ballygown and again to the Tully Garvin Little Sunday School. And there the early seeds of the gospel were sown and planted into his heart. As he grew, he moved back down to Houston Drive, not too far away from here, joined the BB, the 30th BB, at Orangefield Presbyterian Church. And there, one of the officers led the Bible study. And month by month, as he led the Bible study, again, those seeds of the gospel were germinating in Bill's heart. Boland and Grant came to the Tully Garvin Mission Hall, and they had a mission. And Bill was, was so conscious that he needed God's salvation that when Oswald J. Smith, the famous Canadian evangelist, came to McQuiston Presbyterian Church, uh, Bill went there, and he so wanted to be saved, but he wasn't sure. And sadly, the only thing they gave to him was a decision card. No one spoke to him or prayed with him. However, his mother had a shop on the Ravenhill Road, a grocery shop, and over there at the grocery shop, uh, a young lady came in one day and invited Bill and his brother Brian to go to hear Mr. Paisley at the Ravenhill Free Presbyterian Church. Bill says that when he went to the Ravenhill, uh, he was absolutely captivated as Ian Paisley preached, not just from the desk, but uh, paraded up and down the platform preaching and sometimes uh, out of the pulpit, down the aisle, pleading with people to come to Christ. Those were days of great blessing. Every week, uh, maybe four, five, six people trusted Christ the Savior. I remember being at a, uh, doing a funeral with Ian Paisley and I was converted at the old Ravenhill Church. And I said to him, I remember in the 1956-57 going to all-night prayer meetings for revival. <laughs> if we had the 1950s back again, we would say it was revival because God was blessing. And there on the 20th of January, oh, sorry, the 20th of July, 1952, Bill attended the meeting and in the appeal why Bill came to Christ and a Mr. Weatherall in the inquiry room, led Bill to f simple faith in the Lord Jesus. We sing, O happy day that fixed my choice, in thee my Saviour and my God, well may this glowing heart rejoice to tell its raptures all abroad. Well, Bill had got saved, but he didn't know that the rest of his life would be taken up with telling the raptures of the gospel. But initially, he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell his mother and father. He didn't tell his brothers. The fear of man brings a snare, but two, three days after he was converted, his mother said to him, Bill, there's a change in you. Has anything happened? Well, yes, Mum. Have you become a Christian? And Bill then confessed that he had trusted Christ the Savior. Bill had gone to Nettlefield Primary School, and from Nettlefield he had gone to Belfast High School. And when he got to Belfast High School, he had to tell his friends that he had trusted Christ. They mocked him, they laughed at him. He lost those friends, but very soon he gained other friends. Friends who loved the Lord just like he did. As a matter of fact, at that particular time in the Young People's Fellowship down there in Ravenhill, God was moving upon many hearts. The missionary conventions that took place, why God, God was speaking 
More than, more than 13 young people went into full-time Christian service from the Young People's Fellowship of those days. When Bill was 16 years of age, six, turning 17, he helped in a mission with Fred Orr and Ina Orr at the Mount Marion Free Presbyterian Church. And there he had the joy of being part of the team that saw people come to Christ. And, and that was amazing. On the 18th of March, 1954, at the Castlereagh Evangelical Church down the road, now Castlereagh Baptist, Fred and Ina Orr, who were members there, had finished their training at the Wet College in Glasgow and felt God was calling them to Brazil. The 18th of March, 1954, was their farewell. And at that farewell, Fred and Ina, both 29 years of age, Ina stood and she sang these words. O oh Lord, this world is lost in sin, and few there are who care, many of whom profess thy name, no, no burden will help to bear. We need a passion, Lord, for souls, to bring the lost back to thee. Our hearts must be stirred until all have heard, at least once, of Calvary. Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a hindrance, my God, to thee. Take me and all I have, dear Lord, and get me so close to thee till I feel the throb of the great heart of God and my life burns out for thee. On the 19th of March, 54, they sailed for Brazil. In those days, it took six weeks to get to Brazil. And when they got there to the round about the middle of March, sorry, in the middle of April, uh, they were to go on upriver from the city of Manaus, already a thousand miles upriver. They were to go another 1,500 miles up the Amazon to a place called Boca do Acre. There were no flights available. Flights there were. We used to fly in the old Catalinas, a flying boat that lands on, on the river. You think you're in a, in a biscuit tin when you're coming down on the river, but uh, they couldn't get a flight. So they, they went on an old paddle steamer. The paddle steamer would take three and a half weeks to get to Boca do Acre, and uh, they were on board. Fred was so careful about Ina, he wouldn't let her use the water that was on the boat. He brought bottles of, similar to lemonade, orangeade, and with those bottles, why, that's how they washed their teeth. They wouldn't use the water to wash their teeth. Everything they drank was out of a bottle. He was so careful. But after a, a week on the boat, Ina said to Fred, that meat wasn't good today. Fred was fearful for her. The next day, she started to burn with fever as the boat slowly made its way up the river Perus towards Boca do Acre. Fred said that he prayed at her bedside every day, oh God, will you spare her? This sounds a bit carnal, but Fred said to me, Victor, every time I prayed, I could hear the words of the song, Molly Malone, she died of a fever and no one could heal her. But he prayed to heaven. They made their way up river, Tapawa, Kanotama, Labria. When they got to Labria, Ina was very ill. And at four, at, on the 4th of June, eight o'clock at night, Ina turned to Fred and said, Fred, you go and do your work. I'm going to go asleep. At eight o'clock that night, she, she passed away in Lambria. No missionaries ever had ever been to Lambria. But here was Fred, eight o'clock at night, 
and she had to be buried by nine o'clock the next morning. You could hear the thud of hammer on wood as they made a coffin and got Ina into the coffin and Fred buried his wife. I say all that this morning because you can imagine when the news got back here to Northern Ireland, to East Belfast, to Castlereagh, the shock that it was. The shock that it was to Bill Woods because he'd, he'd worked with them, he got to know them, he loved them, and, and their lives were a challenge to him. Would God ask the same of me? Bill asked himself. Bill was not made to be a preacher, he would say. As a matter of fact, the first time the Young People's Fellowship went out to do an opener, the leader of the opener said, there's a young man here, Bill Woods, and he will... And by the time the man turned around, Bill was 50 yards up the road. He didn't want to give testimony. But Jessie Eads came to the Ravenhill Church. She was a missionary on the Cape Verde Islands. Jessie Eads, that was her married name. Her maiden name was Jessie Munn. Jessie Munn was one of the Munn family from York Street. There were 10 children. Two of the boys had died in the war. But Mrs. Munn, a very committed Christian said, I give two of my sons to King George, but I'm giving the rest of my sons to King Jesus. And out of the rest of the children, seven of them went into Christian work. Emma Munn, Janet Munn, Robert Munn, uh, Jesse Munn, and uh, forget the name of the others. Well, Annie and Sandra, uh, an amazing testimony, but Mrs. Eads came back from Cape Verde Islands and gave the challenge of Cape Verde Islands and, and sending something to those for whom nothing is prepared from the book of Nehemiah. The impact of Ina Orr's death and the impact of Mrs. Eads, that was all followed when Molly Harvey arrived from Brazil. Molly Harvey spoke to the young people of the fellowship and she spoke of how great is the darkness of the Amazon of Brazil, the great need out there. She said, the great darkness of ignorance and of idolatry. But she said, I've brought a little lamparina. And she said, this is only a simple lamparina, but I'll tell you that where there is no light, a lamparina can shine far. The greater the darkness, the greater the light. But, she said, of John the Baptist, it was said, he was a burning and a shining light. To shine... You've got to burn. And so this little lamp, Molly said, it's, it's, it's a dry lamp. Uh, to shine and to burn, you need oil. And she spoke of the oil of the Holy Spirit. In this gives the shining light of the gospel. And then she spoke of how the gospel had shone into many hearts. And Bill Wood said, I want to be a light for Jesus. When he went home and told his mother his mother was wanting him, to, he had finished at Belfast High School. He wanted him to go to Stranmillis to be a teacher. The father wanted him to go to university. But Bill said, God's calling me to be a missionary and I want to go to the mission field. His father sarcastically said, mission field? Why, well, you'll be lucky if you see the potato field, son. Eh? But Bill decided to go to the Weck College in Glasgow where Fred Orr had trained and I would train in later years to the White College in Glasgow, and there God was preparing him for what lay ahead. Uh, at the White College, he had missions away up in the north of Scotland, and then he and his girlfriend at that time applied to Acre Gospel Mission 
and were accepted to serve the Lord in Brazil. That was 1959. The mission felt, because Bill was only 21 years of age, uh, that he should go to North Antrim with the faith mission and uh, do a year in evangelism to gain experience. While he went to North Antrim, his girlfriend went on to Brazil. She was accepted by the mission, but sadly, while in North Antrim, he got a we would call it a Dear John letter, breaking off the romance and breaking Bill's heart. When he got the letter, he read in the book of Isaiah how Hezekiah had got a letter. And he had taken the letter and spread it before the Lord and asked God, what will I do? And he was prompted to say, you just keep going on. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. And so Bill pressed on. He left for Brazil in August 1906, I remember, with Audrey being down at the boat to see Bill off, as was signed to him, God be with you till we meet again. Six weeks to get to Brazil. When Bill got to Brazil, the first thing he had to do was learn Portuguese. As a matter of fact, he had a little radio with him and he needed batteries for his radio and he said to Molly Harvey, what's the word for, for battery? The word for battery is pilha, P-I-L-H-A, pilha. And so Molly wrote it out. Oh, senor, ting pilha. That is, sir, do you have any batteries? Pilha. When Bill got to the shop, he read it again and tried to memorize it. The only thing is the P of pilha looked like an F for filha. Pilha means battery. Filha means daughter. <laughs> you can imagine the predicament when Bill got into the shop and said to the man, do you have any daughters? The man said, yes, I do. Bill said, I'd like to buy six of them, please. <laughs> Is it any wonder he never, he never got married? Huh? Never married. I was speaking to Bill just in September, reminding of the days when Audrey and I lived with him. We were all in our 20s. And when the lights went out at night, the old generator in the town went out at 9 o'clock at night. Everybody went to their hammocks except Audrey and Bill and me. We used to talk about where he might find a girlfriend or the girlfriends at home. And we suggested that Mr. McComb, who led the mission, he had tried the European Bible colleges to see if we could get another girl to come. But Bill went through those difficult times. I say difficult times because when Bill was in Brazil in that first term, he went to a little town called Canotama. Canotama was a very remote, impoverished town and no medical help, whatever. The nearest doctor from Kanatama would be 10 days away by boat or three hours away by aeroplane. One day, Bill was in the house and he was on his own at this particular time. A lady across the road had made a plate of hot fish and rice for him. And a little boy of 11 or 12, he came to the door with this plate in his hand, steaming uh, plate. And when Bill took a plate, he, it was too hot for him to touch. So he got a cloth, and as he lifted it from the boy's hand, he could see the skin peeling off the fellow's hand. But the fellow wasn't crying. Bill thought it was strange. What was wrong? The fellow said he didn't feel anything. So Bill got some medical books down and began to read about it and found the boy had leprosy. Leprosy is uh, similar to tuberculosis, a bacteria that attacks nerves. And where the nerve is superficial and perhaps a little narrow area, uh, like the, the nerve here at your funny bone, the ulnar nerve. When it is infected, it swells, but there's no room for it to swell, so the nerve breaks. 
And when that nerve breaks, then you lose the mobility of, of your fingers. And they end up with what they call a claw hammer hand. Claw hammer hand is not only of lost mobility, but with it you lose the sensation of feeling, like the boy on the hot plate. He couldn't feel the pain or the burning. He could smell the burning. Uh, I should say that leprosy with uh, hands and feet, they don't drop off. They wear away with repeated injury and wounds and scars. And very soon, many of them don't have any hands anymore. And likewise with the leg, with the nerve at the back of the leg, because of leprosy, it swells, it breaks, and therefore they end up with a dropped foot as they walk. And uh, dropped foot as they walk, worse than that is, they have no feelings. So when they stand on nails or glass, they can't feel it anymore. And therefore, feet wear away. That's why many leprosy patients don't have any feet. Well, Bill was touched by this. Another day, he was called down to the river Mokowin. Mokowin was a tributary not too far, about a two-mile downriver from where we lived. He was called down there uh, late one afternoon. When he got down, it was already dark and got out of the dugout canoe and up the hill, the, a hill, a muddy bank of the river. But he could hear a young man yelling, yelling in pain. The young man had been bitten by a snake. They brought him six days downriver to the book of the, the mouth of the Mukawing, and, and there Bill looked at him, and he could see the, the gangrenous gash in his leg where he'd been bitten by a snake, and the young man crying out in pain. The only thing Bill had was aspirin. He gave him the aspirin, and Bill says, I'm a missionary, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to pray for you. The guy cried, I don't want you to pray. I want you to do something, do something, do something. Even as Bill was praying, the boy was screaming. Bill stayed until 9, 10 o'clock at night, and even as he left that jungle house, you could hear the echoes of the boy crying out across the quiet flowing river as Bill made his way back up to Kanotama, and Bill felt he should do something. We joined Bill in 1964. We went to Harley Street in Dublin, to do, uh, in London rather, to do a, a course on leprosy and, and then a year at the Mystery School of Medicine and back out to the town of Kanatama. We were in Kanatama with Bill. During those early days in Kanatama, we would travel on the River Mokowin, the River Perus, evangelizing, and God protected us, I, I said. It was a saved by grace. I should say we were all walking by faith. Faith in trusting God for guidance on our pathway. Faith in trusting God for the provision of our needs. And God was doing that in an amazing way. Faith for protecting us. I remember traveling with Bill Woods on that same river, Mokoween. We were heading upstream. To be quite truthful, we were going to get stone. There is Virtually no stone on our part of the Amazon. It's all clay. But up the river Mokoween, six feet underwater, there was stone. And so we were building a church, and we needed stone. So we had traveled up the river Mokoween. At nighttime, we had put hammocks up between the trees and light a fire to keep the animals away, jaguar and other wild animals that are there, to keep them away. 
And then next morning early, we'd go diving down to break stone and bring it up and fill the canoe and then get our way. However, one day I was, uh, I was at the front of the canoe. We were going upriver, and the, these rivers are flowing very fast. I mean, I'm speaking of 10, 12 kilometers an hour, which is very fast for water. Uh, and as we were going up, we, we had to be careful because we had to get to the other side of the river to avoid the main bend on the river, the serpentine bends on these big rivers. But as I getting across, we got caught in the current and our boat was being swept downstream. And in the middle of the river was a massive tree impaled in the river sticking up and we were heading for it. And as we got near, I shouted to Bill, who was down the back of the, the, the boat it was, uh, down the back. I said, Bill, we're going we're gonna to hit a tree, we're going to hit a tree. He shouts, jump overboard, jump overboard. There are alligators, stingray fish, snakes. Well, there was no way I was going to jump overboard. As we got near the tree, we hit that tree with such a... I pulled out my foot and I lost my shoe. Uh, and listen, when we hit the tree, not only did it shake the boat and I lost my shoe, but pots and pans and saucers were flying everywhere. And I shouted, Bill, I've lost my shoe. He shouted back, I've lost my teeth. Uh, so it's not sailing up the river on a Sunday afternoon. It's... On that river also are the Jumna Indians, wild Indians, who had been barbaric, killing some families. But a Wycliffe Bible translator was also working with us at that time, Arnie Abramson and Bill, went with Arnie into the forest to look for these Indians to try to make friendly contact with them. As a matter of fact, he, uh, they met one of the Indians and her son. She had left the tribe. She didn't speak any Portuguese. But Arnie wanted her to, to try to learn the language and reduce it to writing, and so she was very precious. Because he couldn't speak the language, Arnie said to Bill, the only language you understand is the language of love. Just show her love. That's all we've got to do. And so it was. They were with her for about 10 days. After 10 days, one day, Bill was at the mirror combing his hair, and the next thing, the Indian woman threw her arms around him and kissed him on the cheek. And Bill said, I think she's getting the message too strongly at the moment, <laughs> this language of love. But it took them into the forest to look for these Indians. And when they found some of the Indians, small men, uh, they were afraid of losing their scalps. These Indians had killed many people. But Bill looked at Arnie, who was a bit taller than Bill, and Arnie was bald, so they couldn't take his scalp, but they kept running their hands through Bill's hair. And um, it is amazing how God preserved them. But those words, I want you to do something, haunted Bill. And while we were living with him, Audrey and I were in Kanatama with Bill for several years, and while we were there with him, he decided to study to get into Brazilian University, the University of Amazonas. And so he had to study uh, physics and uh, chemistry and uh, such things. And in an amazing way, uh, he set the exam and he failed the entrance exam to the medical school. But they didn't get a full quota for the medical school. There were three places left. And so they came back to Bill, uh, they came back to the university and said, it's open again. And Bill sat with 100 students to do the entrance exam for only three places, and Bill got first place, got in. Our time is gone. 
Because of Bill wanting to do something, he studied medicine Portuguese, graduated, he studied ophthalmology in Portuguese, became an ophthalmic surgeon. He went to India to study with Dr. Paul Brand and give the rest of his life, I said, saved by grace, walk by faith, serve by love. He loved his Lord. He loved the lost. He loved his leprosy patients. For 30 years and more, he walked amongst those leprosy patients and over 25,000 of them today are healed because of the boy from Belligan. He said, our time is gone. Bill died in the blessed hope. Over these years, uh, we've seen our missionaries, choices, people, Fred Orr, James and Dory Gunning, Hazel Miskim, and I've, I've done all of their funerals. They've gone to be with glory. But every time I come back from one, I say, Bill, there's another one gone. It'll soon be us. It looks like we're in the waiting room. Bill says, you can be in the waiting room if you want. I'm already on the runway, ready for takeoff. Can I say that's how Bill lived his life? Always ready for takeoff. Back in 1996, I wrote to John Major, the Prime Minister, Mr. Mayhew, the Secretary of State. I wrote to the President of Brazil, the Governor of the State of Acre, the Mayor of the Town, and appealed for recognition of Bill Wood's life and work. As a result, he got an OBE from Her Majesty in November 1997. He got an award from the Brazilian government that puts him amongst the 100 most influential people in the Acre, that's the state he lived in. He got another recognition from the government in which his photo hangs in the Hall of Fame in Brasilia in the parliament buildings. Eight years ago, they gave to him an honorary Brazilian citizenship but he was ready for takeoff. And today I can say he finished his course. He fought the fight. Henceforth it was laid up for him, not an OBE, not Brazilian citizenship. Henceforth there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to him, and not to him only, but unto all those who love his appearing. Grace saved by grace, walk by faith, served in love, died in the blessed hope of the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together and for the amazing testimony of your servant. Our Lord, we pray that you will challenge other lives and other people for the spread of the gospel into all the world and accept our thanks for these moments together in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.